Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation to help you on this path to enlightenment. This enlightened mental state that Gautama Buddha taught guides the mind to being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. It's a mental state that you can attain through applying time, effort, and energy to learn and practice his teachings. One of the primary things that you're going to need to learn and practice as part of this path is breathing mindfulness meditation. This is one of the primary ways that we train the mind to move to this enlightened mental state where it's permanently peaceful, permanently calm, permanently serene, and permanently content with joy. That means that the mind will no longer experience things like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, loneliness, boredom, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of these discontent feelings are eliminated from the mind on this path that Gautama Buddha lays out for us in order to attain this enlightened mental state. And one of the things that I've been doing is sharing these teachings with students to progress along this path. Because without a teacher, without guidance, you wouldn't be able to learn these teachings and you wouldn't be able to implement them in your life to experience the results of this enlightened mental state. So it's really important to actually have a teacher for guidance because any teacher that you work with should have resources to be able to help you. So one of the things that I do is I share this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, and I share it for free. Wherever you're watching this video, this live stream, you should be able to access the comment section and download the book completely free. You'll be able to read, you'll be able to have access to the audiobook. There's also videos, podcasts, and quizzes in this book that you can then use as kind of a foundational text in which to learn and apply the teachings. Then twice a week, I share these online classes on Sunday and Wednesday at nine o'clock Thai time, where I live stream out to various places across the internet. And we host an online interactive virtual classroom through Zoom. We have this Facebook group called Daily Wisdom Walking the Path with the Buddha. And if you're watching this live stream anywhere else besides there and YouTube or Zoom, I really suggest that you now click the link to come into Daily Wisdom Walking the Path with the Buddha 
because watching this live stream through that, you'll be able to actually ask questions during our live session today as I share with you breathing mindfulness meditation and help you to learn this. By clicking on that link, you'll be able to join the group pretty much instantly. And then we have a moderator named Max who will be able to see your questions that you submit in comments and be able to ask those during the various times of the class where we pause for questions because that's a very important thing that you get your questions answered. Rather than just broadcasting, I like to keep these sessions very interactive so that you're able to get your questions answered based on the content that I'm sharing and also some other things that you've learned in your life. So if this is your first time joining us, I'd like to really welcome you to our group learning program. And I would like to even further welcome you into Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, where you can join and get access to a whole host of various resources to help you on this path. So today, which is Wednesday, we're actually going to be studying breathing mindfulness meditation because every Wednesday we either do breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation or Buddhist chanting. On Sundays, we take a chapter from this book Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, and we dive into that chapter and we explore that on Sunday. So right now we're on chapter seven, which is the five precepts. And this Sunday coming up, we'll be on chapter eight, which is transforming the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. But on Wednesdays, we set aside time to really help you to deepen your meditation practice or if you're interested in learning Buddhist chanting to help you understand that and add that into your meditation practice. So that's what we're going to be doing today now that it's a Wednesday. Rather than just teach you meditation, what I would like to start out with, because I have a feeling there's gonna be a lot of new people joining us today, what I would like to start out with is helping you understand why we're actually meditating. Because the entire world is starting to learn more and more how important meditation is. And in order to actually start meditating, it's important for the mind to understand why. Why are we meditating? Well, of course, a lot of people understand that the mind has sadness and anger, frustration, all of these kind of discontent feelings, and meditation is helping to eliminate those. But how is it doing that? What is the actual goals of meditation? What are we trying to accomplish? Why we actually are meditating? So what I'm going to do is share with you here at the beginning of our time together, the three universal truths and the four noble truths. These are the foundational teachings that are needed in order to understand this path to enlightenment that Gautama Buddha shared. Without the understanding of these core teachings, a practitioner would be in the dark about how to progress on this path. What these teachings are going to establish for you is what we call right view to help you understand why the mind experiences sadness, anger, frustration, and all of these other discontent feelings. And through understanding why the mind is experiencing these, once you understand why, then you can work to actually eliminate these discontent feelings. But without understanding why the mind is sad, why it has guilt, why it's bored, why it feels shyness, and all of these other discontent feelings, how could you ever eliminate them from the mind? Because in order to progress on this path to enlightenment, 
it requires more than just meditation. You wouldn't be able to meditate your way to enlightenment. There's a lot of other teachings and guidance that you need on this path. And conversely, you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without meditation either. So you need meditation as part of your practice, but you need a whole lot of other teachings as well. And that's why I title this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, because you need to develop this life practice, which includes meditation, but also includes regular, consistent, dedicated effort to learning the teachings of the Buddha and then implementing them into your daily life so you can see the truth. One of the beauties about Gautama Buddha's teachings is nothing is based on belief. There's nothing here that Gautama Buddha or I will ever ask you to believe. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to not believe anything. Anything that you currently are believing is just belief. You don't know whether it's true or not. It's only when you learn the teachings with guidance and then you independently verify those teachings that you then have wisdom. Because through your independent verification of the teachings, then you know it's the truth. And you know that this is wisdom that the mind now has, that this is in fact the truth. So you obliterate belief, you eliminate belief, and you apply the teachings in life to independently verify the truth so that you can see the wisdom. The mind now operates through this new wisdom that you've acquired and you will start making decisions in life differently than you did before you had this wisdom. So this path to enlightenment is about learning and practicing teachings, but you need to independently verify these teachings in order to gain the wisdom that these teachings are in fact truth. And that's why the first teachings that we start with are called the three universal truths and the four noble truths because Gautama Buddha knew they were truth and I know they're truth, but that doesn't help you. Well, it helps you in terms of your teacher understands the teachings and has the wisdom to do so. But in order for you to move to this enlightened mind, you need to independently verify that the teachings that I share with you today are in fact truth because when you do that, then you have wisdom. And this newfound wisdom will improve the way that the mind functions. So as we progress in our talk here today, I'm not going to ask you to believe anything. In fact, I'm going to ask you to think about what I'm saying, to reflect on what I'm saying. And there's some different times that I'm actually going to be pausing during our talk today and asking you to reflect on what it is that I'm sharing. So once again, I would just like to thank you for joining us. I really appreciate that you've taken the time and effort to learn Gautama Buddha's teachings and start implementing them into your life. Because the more of us that learn and practice these teachings on a daily basis, the world just becomes a better and better and better place. We don't improve the condition of the world by changing everyone else. That's never going to work because we can't change other people. The only way that the world gets better is by us focusing on our own mind and training our own mind. So by you being here today, it's actually going to help to improve the condition of your mind, which benefits you. It's going to help all the people around you, 
your friends, your family, your colleagues, everybody that's around your life, your coworkers, your neighbors. And through that, it's also going to benefit all of humanity and the world will slowly become a better and better place. So thank you for being here. And thank you to Max for volunteering his time to be our moderator today and all of our other sessions that we have on Sunday and Wednesday. So with all of that said, let's move into the content of today's class. What we're going to be talking about is starting off with the three universal truths. And remember, there is no belief here. Don't believe anything that I say. Learn what I am sharing with you and then reflect on that until you understand it's the truth so that then you have wisdom. Here, the first universal truth is called impermanence. The universal truth of impermanence is helping you to understand that everything is constantly changing. There is no permanent fixed state, whether it's a material object or possessions, relationships, thoughts, ideas, states of mind, everything in the world is constantly changing. All of our thoughts that we have in the mind are thoughts that are conditioned on other things. And as those thoughts arise, they will cease to exist. You will have certain thoughts about doing things, but they're impermanent. They don't stay. You've had certain relationships in your life that are impermanent. They're not permanent. Your hair is constantly growing. Your clothes are constantly changing. Your body's constantly changing. You've had different jobs in your life. You've had different salaries and different incomes. Everything that's going on in your life and around us is constantly changing. The only thing that's steady or fixed or constant is the mental state of enlightenment itself and the natural laws of existence. So these teachings that Gautama Buddha shared over 2,500 years ago, he taught about the natural laws of existence. Those are the same natural laws of existence that exist today because those haven't changed. And that's why his teachings from 2,500 years ago are just as applicable then as they are now. So we can learn and study and experience the results of this enlightened mind because he taught about the natural laws of existence. His teachings are timeless. But everything else besides the natural laws of existence and this mental state of enlightenment are always constantly changing. You have to get a new toothbrush all the time. Your teeth are constantly changing. Your relationships are constantly changing. Where you sleep, where you live, your jobs, your relationships, everything's constantly changing. So this is the universal truth of impermanence. But don't believe it. Don't believe it. You need to see its truth yourself. So one of the ways to determine that this is truth is to try to disprove the Buddha. So if you can find just one thing that's permanent, then you've disproven the Buddha. And if you've disproved the Buddha, that means the Buddha's teachings are not real. They're not correct. So the way to confirm whether this is true or not is to try to disprove the Buddha. So look through your life. What has been permanent in your life? Again, are you wearing the same clothes that you've always worn? Does your hair stay the same length? 
do your teeth stay the same or have you had different teeth come and go? Do you get cavities, right? Does the quality of your hair change? Does your jobs constantly change? Do you have relationships that have started and ended and you're no longer in those relationships? You have new friends, you have new jobs, your jobs and your salary constantly changing. If you reflect on this, what you're gonna come to is impermanence is indeed a universal truth. And then you'll have this wisdom. If you're not seeing this now, it's okay. But what you need to do is you need to walk around for however many days it takes and try to find something that's permanent. And what you're going to find is nothing's permanent because this is a universal truth. So this is the first universal truth that it's important for you to understand. And we're going to build on this as we go through our talk today, reaching to meditation. So this is a foundational teaching to help you get to the point where you understand why the mind is experiencing sadness, anger, frustration, and all of these discontent feelings, and why we're actually doing meditation. So impermanence is a foundational teaching to understand. The second universal truth is called discontentedness. In the Pali Canon, which is the original source of what we have from Gautama Buddha's teachings, the word that's used here is dukkha. That's the Pali word, which is no longer a spoken language today. A lot of people will translate this to mean suffering. They teach that the Buddha taught that there's suffering in the world. Well, true, there is suffering in the world, but that's not an accurate translation of this word dukkha. And a lot of people in the world who are learning and practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings are really struggling on this path to enlightenment because they're not understanding this key foundational teaching of what the Buddha was talking about when he was talking about dukkha. He wasn't talking about suffering. He was talking about a discontent mind or discontented or discontentedness. And I'm going to explain this in detail for you and then circle back and help you understand why suffering isn't the appropriate word. And if you've been learning and practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings with the word suffering, I think you'll find that this word that I'm sharing will help bring your mind to a better understanding of what Gautama Buddha was actually teaching. When Gautama Buddha explained dukkha, he explained three feelings that are dukkha. He explained painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. These are the three feelings that he was describing. And I've added some meaning here that painful feelings are things like sadness, depression, anger, hatred, ill will, guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, stress. These are all painful feelings. And you've experienced those before. So you know what those painful feelings are like. That's painful feelings. Then there's something called pleasant feelings that the mind experiences. This is happiness, excitement, elation. These are the pleasant feelings that the mind has a tendency to chase after. And the mind really wants to hold on to these feelings, these pleasant feelings of happiness, excitement, elation, and others. This is part of what the Buddha called dukkha, pleasant feelings. Then the third feeling is neither painful nor pleasant. I put in here boredom, loneliness, 
melancholy, shyness, displeased, uncomfortable, unsatisfied. You could put other things in here if you want. This isn't kind of a comprehensive list, but neither painful nor pleasant is kind of like uncomfortable. It's not painful to be shy. It's not pleasant to be shy. It's kind of neither painful nor pleasant, right? It's kind of unsatisfying, uncomfortable. That's what neither painful nor pleasant is. In the mind has these three feelings in the mind. Painful, pleasant, neither painful nor pleasant. So rather than believe what the Buddha has to say or what I have to say, now what you do to try to prove whether this is truth or not, you think about other feelings that you've experienced in the mind. And can you come up with any other feeling that you experience that doesn't map into one of these three feelings? If you can find just one feeling that doesn't map into one of these three, then you've disproved the Buddha. Okay, so if you look at all the feelings that you've experienced over your life, what you'll notice is that all of those feelings map into one of these three. So the Buddha is explaining in about three minutes, he's explaining your entire mind to you and all of the feelings that you're experiencing. It's called discontent, discontented or discontentedness. The mind cycles through these feelings. And these feelings are impermanent. They're not permanent. The mind goes from sadness to boredom, to happiness, to excitement, to fear, to guilt, to loneliness, to shyness, right? The mind keeps moving around in these impermanent feelings. And sure, there might be periods of time there where the mind's fairly peaceful, but then the next feeling comes up and the mind experiences these feelings. This is discontentedness. When the mind's sad, it's discontent. When it's feeling guilty or shameful or fearful, it's discontent. And that doesn't feel very nice. It feels painful. But likewise, when the mind is feeling happiness, excitement, elation, these pleasant feelings, the mind is also discontent because it's dissatisfying because this happy feeling is not permanent. This happy feeling is impermanent. Therefore, the mind can't hold on to it forever, so it becomes displeased at some point in time. But this happiness is based on some condition. You got a new car, you got a new job, you got a new pair of clothes, you got a new friend, you got a new house. Whatever it is, you've acquired something, and now the mind, based on that condition, is happy. But that happiness doesn't last because it's impermanent. So now the mind moves to some other feeling, right? And that's discontentedness. When the mind is so happy, so excited, so elated, it's uncalm, it's unpeaceful. Sometimes it's inattentive, it's unaware of itself. And when it's so happy, you can trip, you can fall, you can say things that you didn't mean. And then next thing you know, the mind's back to being guilty, shameful, or fearful, or sad. So this happy feeling that a lot of people in the world are chasing, it's actually kind of setting you up to fail. Because if you're chasing happiness and you think the goal in life is to be happy, well, you just keep chasing that happiness. And every time you get it, it's temporary. And next thing you know, it's gone. 
and you don't know why your mind's sad again. But a lot of people in the world are saying, just be happy, just be happy, just be happy. And there's kind of this picture of happiness that is laid out for us. It might be material wealth, it might be certain possessions, it might be having kids or having a partner, having a certain size of a house, having a certain job, and you feel like if I just get that, the mind will be happy. And it is, it's happy for a temporary period of time, but then that condition is impermanent, it's temporary. So now the mind moves to sadness, anger, frustration, or something else. So if you've been chasing happiness, the reason why you haven't been able to attain permanent happiness is because happiness isn't permanent. It doesn't last permanently. So likewise, in the pleasant feelings, the mind is discontent, discontented or discontentedness. And then if the mind's bored, lonely, shy, displeased, uncomfortable, this is neither painful nor pleasant. This is discontentedness as well because the mind is unsatisfied. It's uncomfortable. Okay, These are the three feelings of a discontent mind. Painful, pleasant, neither painful nor pleasant. Well, if you've been using the word suffering to relate to Gautama Buddha's teachings, to me, suffering explains painful feelings quite well. Sadness, yeah, suffering. Depression, anger, ill will, guilt, shame, fear, yeah, that's suffering. But when you're happy or excited or elated, would you consider that you are suffering? Would you describe that as suffering? I don't think so. Or when your mind is neither painful nor pleasant, like shy, would you say that you were suffering when you were shy? Probably not. So if we use this word suffering, then we're only describing one third, 33% of what the Buddha was actually teaching. So we're missing another 66% of what the Buddha is teaching. And that's a big amount of missing of his teachings. So we shouldn't use this word suffering any longer to refer to what Gautama Buddha was teaching as this second universal truth. We should be using this word discontent, discontented, or discontentedness, because this describes the three feelings that Gautama Buddha was teaching. Because what you're going to hear as part of these teachings is the goal is to eliminate these discontent feelings in the mind, this temporary, impermanent, discontent feelings, so that as the mind is trained to enlightenment, it gains this permanent mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. That's permanent. So another aspect of these teachings that sometimes people share is they say enlightenment or nirvana or nibbana is ultimate happiness or permanent happiness. Permanent happiness doesn't exist. So the way we need to describe enlightenment or nibbana is a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind. So when you learn that you're eliminating discontentedness from the mind, and you're working to attain peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, now it's very clear in the mind what it is that you're working to eliminate and what it is you're working to attain. And by having that very clear in the mind, now you're more likely to attain it. But if we use this old language of the past, 
of suffering and happiness, we're missing completely what it is that the Buddha was sharing with us that we need to eliminate from the mind and that which we need to attain. So this second universal truth of discontent, discontented, or discontentedness is what we're working to eliminate from the mind. We're working to eliminate these impermanent conditioned feelings where the mind cycles through all these impermanent feelings and getting to this place where the mind is permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And we're going to talk about how to do that throughout this program. And meditation is one of the ways that we do that, but we're going to get to that. The third universal truth is called non-self. This is more of kind of like an intermediate to an advanced teaching, but let me share it with you and kind of introduce it to you now. And then when you get further on this path, then I will help you to deepen your understanding of this teaching more and more. What the teaching of non-self is referring to is it's helping you to understand that there is no permanent self, okay? In the unenlightened mind, there is a self. The unenlightened mind holds on to this self-image and this self-identity, and it thinks that there is a self. So if I ask you, point to yourself, where are you? Go ahead, point to yourself, where are you? You're probably gonna take your finger and point here, or here, or here. But that's not yourself, because that's just a shirt, or that's just skin, or that's just bones. You keep ripping that stuff out, you get to organs, and you get to fluid. So where are you, right? This you, this I, it only exists in the mind. The self only exists in the unenlightened mind. And it has this self-identity and this self-image. And because of that self-image in the mind, the unenlightened mind can oftentimes become very selfish. And we protect the self, much like an animal. When animals are in the wild, they become very fearful. They're very afraid. They have to look out. They have to protect. And they have to defend themselves or they're going to die. And because we are in this human world and we have this unenlightened mind holding on to this self, when people say things that we disagree with in the unenlightened mind, we become very protective. We protect the self because we disagree with what they say. So we get very hostile like an animal. Or if somebody wants something that we have, we may not be interested to share. And we become very selfish, much like an animal. But being in the human world, we can let go of this self. We don't need to hold on to this concept of a self in the mind because it's causing you trouble. It's sabotaging your relationships. This is my son, my car, my house, my wife. And if all this stuff is yours, mine, 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 now we try to control it and we put our expectations on it. And then when it gets damaged or they do what we don't agree with, then we become angry and frustrated. So this self that's in the mind causes all kinds of problems and it sabotages a lot of our relationships because we're trying to protect this self and we become very selfish. So the way to get to enlightenment is we need to eradicate this self. 
We need to dissolve this self. There's lots of things that we need to eliminate from the mind in order to get to enlightenment. And there's certain things that we need to cultivate and bring into the mind. One of the things that we need to eradicate is this self, this concept of a permanent self that exists in the mind. And when we eradicate that self through teaching and training, then the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because there's nothing to protect. Somebody says something you disagree with, okay, that's fine, we can disagree. We can be polite, kind, friendly, respectful, and still disagree. That's okay because there's no self there. There's nothing to protect. One of the ways that you can practice this is by being humble, by being peaceful. A way that you can prove that this is in fact a universal truth is you can think about yourself. Think about your self-image. Think about your identity right now. Who are you? Who are you? Can you explain it? And if you explain who you are, and I talk to the people around you, are they going to explain you the same way? Or are they going to have a different perspective? They're most likely going to have a different perspective, right? So what you have in your mind of who you are, what the self is, and how other people perceive you is very different. That's one way you know that there is no self. There is no permanent self. If there was a permanent self, everybody would explain it exactly the same. They would explain you exactly the same. Another way you can prove that it's truth is thinking about you and who you think you are. Look back over your life from the time you were a child to a teenager, to an early adult, to middle adult, whatever age you are now, has your image, your self-image and your self-identity changed over that time and how you viewed yourself? Well, the answer is yes. When you were a child, teenager, early adult, middle life, and now, you've viewed your self-identity and your self-image differently. And this is how you know there's no permanent self. Because your image and how you view yourself keeps changing. So that's how you know that this permanent self only resides in the mind. Okay? There's other teachings here along non-self that will help you to realize non-self. Realizing non-self is to dissolve the self out of the mind and eradicate this permanent self that exists in the unenlightened mind so that you can realize non-self and eradicate this from the mind. And in doing so, as you learn and progress on this path, then you will see that the mind will reside more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because you're not always looking out for the next person who disagrees with you and being fearful and protecting this self, much like an animal does in the forest. You don't need to do that in the human state. So let me pause here and take our first set of questions with our moderator, Max. Anything that's come in through Daily Wisdom, Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, YouTube channel, or in our Zoom classroom. Hi, David. I have a question on impermanence. Are natural laws impermanent? The natural laws of existence are not impermanent. They are actually permanent to the point that as long as there is existence, these natural laws will exist. 
one of the jokes is what's permanent is impermanence. Impermanence is always going to exist as long as there's existence. So there's going to be impermanence, right? So these natural laws, and you'll learn more and more about these natural laws, the natural law of gamma and some of the others, these are all permanent. Got it. Thank you, David. We have no questions at the moment. Okay. So let's move on. I shared the three universal truths with you as building blocks to move us into the four noble truths. It's the four noble truths that establishes for you right view and helps you to understand why the mind is experiencing all this discontentedness. And once you understand why, then we can talk about how to eliminate it. Okay, so let's move into the four noble truths. Moving into the four noble truths, the first thing that you need to understand even before progressing into the four noble truths is what we call craving desire attachment. This is language that we use in the English language to talk about this mind, this unenlightened mind that has this mental longing for something with a strong eagerness. These expectations, this wants, this holding, this grasping, we call it craving desire attachment. It's where the mind longs for something. Like you just want that new job. You just want that new boyfriend or girlfriend. You just want that new piece of clothes. You have this longing. The mind just craves it and it just wants it. And it knows if it just gets that one thing, it will be happy, okay? This is craving desire attachment, a very fundamental understanding that you need to have in order to learn the Four Noble Truths. We use the word craving desire attachment, but there's also other words like expectations, wants, holding, grasping. This is that longing for something, this strong eagerness. Rather than pursuing something as a goal or an interest or an objective, the mind just wants it so badly, right? That's what a craving desire attachment is. Now into the Four Noble Truths. The first noble truth that I explain as Gautama Buddha's teachings, this isn't a direct translation of his. This is how I summarize the teachings to help you understand them. The first noble truth is that everyone that is unenlightened will experience discontentedness. So if you experience painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, and these feelings are impermanent and the mind is moving around through all these impermanent feelings, then you know that your mind is discontent. You know that it's unenlightened. No big deal. There's lots of unenlightened people in the world. The goal is for you to learn more and more so that your mind can become enlightened. But this first noble truth helps you to understand that if your mind is experiencing discontentedness, it's currently unenlightened big deal. Okay, you're unenlightened because you're experiencing discontentedness. Now let's move on to the second noble truth to understand the cause. Why? Why is the mind unenlightened? Why is it experiencing this discontentedness? This is the second noble truth. Discontentedness is caused by our own attachments, 
because the mind craves for everything to be permanent when everything in the world is impermanent. I'm going to repeat this a few times, break it down, and then give you examples so that you don't believe what I'm saying, but you can see the truth for yourself. Okay? Discontentedness is caused. So painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant is caused by our own attachments, this mental longing and strong eagerness, because the mind craves, it wants things, it has this mental longing and strong eagerness for everything to be permanent. The unenlightened mind wants things to be permanent when everything in the world is impermanent. Let me give you an example. I know you can relate to this. You had a boyfriend or a girlfriend at one time. That person, you became close to them. At the beginning of the relationship, everything was so wonderful because you guys talked, you spent time together, you went to the park, you went and had a coffee, you went to the movies. Your only interest was to get to know each other. That was it. You just met this person. You don't know them at all. And your mind was very peaceful, very content because it was a new relationship. But then as the relationship continued, the mind started latching on. It started having all these pleasant feelings. It started to really enjoy all this time together. And now the mind have this attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. And the more the mind craved with this mental longing and strong eagerness, the relationship kind of got smothered and sabotaged. And then you broke up. Somebody got angry, got frustrated, got irritated, and you separated. Then the mind became sad or angry or frustrated or irritated or lonely or bored. Why? Because your mind craved for this relationship to be permanent. Your mind wanted this relationship to be permanent. Your mind expected for this relationship to be permanent. But nothing's permanent. Relationships are impermanent. So when your mind separated and realized that this relationship was over, the unenlightened mind doesn't like impermanence. So another way to say that the mind craves permanence is to say the mind doesn't like impermanence. So whenever there's change, the mind doesn't like that. It doesn't appreciate that. It becomes sad. It becomes angry. It becomes frustrated. It becomes irritated. It becomes bored and lonely. And it has this mental longing with a strong eagerness for this relationship to be permanent. This is why your mind becomes sad. And essentially, You caused it yourself, not necessarily the breakup, but you caused the mind to be sad, to be angry, to be frustrated, to be lonely, to bored because this unenlightened mind grasped and held on and craves permanence. And as long as the mind craves that permanence, it's going to be discontent. It's going to experience this discontentedness as long as the mind keeps expecting permanence. 
And until you train it otherwise, it's going to have this discontentedness. So whether you had a breakup in a relationship, whether you have somebody that dies that's close to you, that's the same reason why it's sad. Because the mind is holding on, expecting it to be permanent. If you've ever broken a dish in your kitchen, and then when the dish broke, you became angry or frustrated or sad, it's the same thing. The mind craved for this dish to be permanent. And when impermanence happened, then the mind became discontent. If you've ever come outside and saw a scratch on your car and you got angry or frustrated, it's the same thing. Your mind craved permanence. It wanted this car to look like this permanently. And because it doesn't, it experienced impermanence. Now the mind is discontent. So we actually, in the unenlightened state, cause the discontent mind. We cause it ourselves because the mind is untrained and it wants this permanence. It craves for this permanence, right? So the second noble truth is discontentedness is caused by our own attachments because the mind craves for everything to be permanent when everything in the world is impermanent. We have to accept impermanence. We have to understand that it's a universal truth. It's not going away. We need to train the mind to be able to understand this impermanence and accept it. But that's going to take gradual training. So here we go. The third noble truth. The third noble truth is the elimination of discontentedness is possible by eliminating attachments. So if we eliminate this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind craves permanence, if we eliminate that, then we eliminate the discontentedness. And once again, you know this is true because that boyfriend or girlfriend that separated from you, when you were first separated, the mind was sad or angry or bored or lonely, but eventually, You got to the point where you just let it go. And you said, you know what? Okay, let them go. If they want to go be with somebody else or they don't want to be with me, okay, so be it. And then your mind let that go and it became peaceful. Or maybe some of you have had relationships that you still haven't let go of. And it's been five or 10 years. And you're still holding on to it, still craving it. And that's why the mind's discontent. But because you're the one that's causing the mind to be discontent because of this mental longing and strong eagerness, what the third noble truth is sharing with you is because you're the one that's causing it, you can actually eliminate it. That's why you can attain enlightenment is because you're the one that's causing the discontent mind. Because you're causing all the discontentedness, that's the reason why you can eliminate it. So the third noble truth is the elimination of discontentedness is possible by eliminating the craving, desire, attachments, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. And that's where today's meditation comes in. Because today's meditation that we're doing, breathing mindfulness meditation, is to eliminate this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind holds on to things and it wants things to be permanent. We're going to train the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation 
to let go. We're going to train it to let go because the unenlightened mind wants to hold on so tightly. We're going to actually train it in meditation to let go. And as you do that over multiple sessions, over many months and years, developing a life practice, you will then train the mind to be able to let go of things and therefore you won't cause your mind to be discontent because you're causing it to be discontent by holding on through us training the mind to let go. Then you're going to see that the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content permanently with joy because you've let things go. You've allowed the mind to release its hold. You've allowed the mind to train so that it doesn't crave this permanence, that it accepts and understands impermanence. And then the fourth noble truth is the path to eliminate discontentedness is the eightfold path. This is the entire path to enlightenment that Gautama Buddha shares with us. Like I mentioned, you wouldn't be able to just meditate only. There's a whole path that you need to learn and practice and see the truth and gain wisdom. And the more that you learn this path and implement it into your daily life, the more that you will see that the mind becomes more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy more and more for longer periods of time until eventually it permanently resides in this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where the mind is now enlightened. But you need to eliminate certain qualities from the mind and you need to cultivate other qualities in the mind which are all laid out on this path, this path to enlightenment, the eightfold path. So let's pause here and see if there's any questions that have come in through our Daily Wisdom Facebook group, our YouTube channel, or Zoom of questions that you might have to clarify and understand these Four Noble Truths better. What do you think, David, are some of the most common misconceptions or misunderstandings around the Four Noble Truths or craving that we should be aware of? I think the misunderstandings can be quite vast. I've talked through the clarity of what I feel Gautama Buddha was teaching. So rather than introduce the misunderstandings, which would only serve to confuse people, I think I would like to just kind of leave it with what to understand rather than talk about what the confusion is. Just leave it with what I've shared. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Okay. Well, it appears we have no more questions at this time. Okay. So moving into the teachings of breathing mindfulness meditation, what we're going to do is we're going to train the mind to reside in the present moment. Because when we're in meditation, the mind's going to want to go to the past or it's going to want to go to the future. The mind's going to have thoughts and ideas and perceptions that enter into the mind. And when it does, we're going to train the mind to let go. The way that we're going to do that is we're going to focus the mind on the breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just a nice, steady, consistent breath in through the nose and out through the nose. As the mind wanders to the past, to the future, has thoughts or ideas or perceptions, you're going to cut those off and bring the mind to the breath. You're going to let go of those thoughts, those ideas, those perceptions. 
anything that you're thinking about the past or the future, whether it's painful, pleasant, neither painful nor pleasant, you're going to cut that off, let it go, and focus the mind only on the breath. Because when the mind is in the present moment, the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. If the mind's worried about the past, if it's dwelling in the past, then it can't be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's going to be discontent. If the mind is longing for the future with anticipation, with anxiety, with fear or worries, it can't be content. It's going to be discontent. If there's all these thoughts and ideas and perceptions bombarding the mind, it's going to be discontent. So as we focus on the breath and meditation, we're developing concentration and focus, singleness of mind, single-mindedness. We're training the mind to let go. We're not training the mind to eliminate thoughts because as long as you're alive, you're always going to have thoughts. You need to have thoughts. That's part of what allows you to conduct your daily life. But the problem with the unenlightened mind is it holds on to these thoughts. And then that thought just bothers you and bothers you and bothers you. And the mind becomes more and more discontent because it's holding on to this thought. So what we're doing in the training of the mind through meditation is we're letting it go. We're letting it go. As the thought comes, we're not evaluating the thought. We're not judging the thought. We're not trying to figure out where it came from. Nothing like that. We're just letting it go. Just very simple. As soon as you observe the mind's gone to the past, cut it off, let it go. Focus on the breath. As soon as you figure out, even if it's three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, oh my goodness, my mind's all the way in the future. I'm supposed to be meditating. What happened? Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shameful. That's what the unenlightened mind does. It's going to take you on a journey. And when you notice that, cut it off. Bring the mind to the breath. And what you're going to notice over multiple meditation sessions is that you're going to notice that you're going to be able to keep the mind focused on that breath longer and longer and longer periods of time. And you'll be more easily able to cut these thoughts. Where this becomes beneficial is that in daily life, when something happens that you disagree with, rather than being angry, you're going to spot the anger and you're going to cut it off. Rather than be frustrated, you're going to cut it off. Rather than be bored and lonely, you're going to cut it off. Because you train your mind over many weeks and months to know that by you training the mind this way, you're going to see the truth for yourself. That over many days and months, you're going to be able to easily let these things go. And the mind is going to then come into the present moment being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But you've got to see this truth for yourself. So today, we're going to do meditation together. But the goal is that you do this regularly over the course of your life. In the morning, midday, evening. These are the three times that the Buddha did it. Three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. Now, you might not be able to do that right off the bat. If you are, go for it. Three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. But more than likely, you're going to need to ramp up. So maybe start with just once a day, like in the morning or the middle of the day or the evening. 
then do that for a period of weeks and see the truth for yourself that this meditation is indeed helping you. Then add in another one. So if you start off with the morning, add in the evening. Now do that for several weeks. And now you see the benefits. You're accumulating all these benefits. The mind's coming into the present moment. You're going to notice that your anger goes down to frustration, goes to irritation, goes to annoyance. Eventually, the same things are going to happen that used to happen in the past. And you don't feel any anger, no frustration, not even annoyed, not even the simplest little dislike. The mind is peaceful. And this is how you see the truth that the mind is moving to this enlightened mental state because things that used to bother the mind in the past are no longer affecting the mind in the same way because you're training it to understand impermanence. You're training it to understand discontentedness. You're training it to let go. You recognize that you are causing all this discontentedness. And this is the reason why you can train the mind to eliminate it because you're the one that's causing it. So I'm going to help you guys get into meditation and then I'm going to give you a little bit of guidance during the meditation, help you get rooted into your meditation. We'll do meditation for a period of time and then we'll finish and have questions at the end. Now what you're going to notice when I meditate is I don't use a timer. There's no need to use a timer. If you're timing your meditation, then the mind's probably going to sit there and wonder, is it 30 minutes yet? Is it 30 minutes yet? Is it 30 minutes yet? So it's got this longing with a strong eagerness. That's what we're trying to eliminate from the mind. So when you meditate on your own, don't even set an alarm. Just meditate. When you're done, you're done. The other thing that can happen if you set an alarm is you can be deep in meditation, getting all kinds of benefit, and then beep, 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 beep. If I would have just not set that alarm, I could have got so much more benefit. So don't even set an alarm. And I'm not going to use one today. And I, and I don't use any. I never use an alarm. If you ask me right now, how long did I meditate for this morning? I have no idea. I have no idea because I don't time it. I don't even look at the time because it's irrelevant. The goal is to get the results of meditation. The amount of time doesn't matter because over the course of your life, you're going to have to meditate a whole lot in order to get to this enlightened mental state. So if you meditate five minutes today, 30 minutes tomorrow, 45 minutes another day, 20 minutes another day, what does it matter? It's impermanent. Your meditation is impermanent. You're not going to have this permanent fixed time to meditate all the time, right? So just don't even keep track of the time. Just meditate and look for the benefits of the meditation. So typically when you're first learning to meditate, you start off in the seated position. But there are four different positions that we're going to go into when we get into chapter 11, which is another four weeks from now. When we get into chapter 11, we'll go through these four positions and I'll teach them to you. But for today, I suggest that you either sit on the floor with something under your butt to push up your butt and kind of relax your hips and your knees. Or if you sit in a chair, that's fine too. Just place your feet flat on the floor or cross leg or whatever. Your lower body needs to be comfortable. Remember, everything's impermanent. So when I teach you meditation, I'm going to give you lots of different options. There's not just one way to do meditation. Everybody's body is a little bit different. So I need to teach you lots of different options and you find the one that's comfortable for you because the body needs to be comfortable during meditation. 
If the body is experiencing pain, then all the mind's going to experience is pain, 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 pain. So how can you train it if all it experiences is pain? So if at any point you feel any pain, just adjust your body and get to the point where it's comfortable. The body is the employee. We need to make the employee comfortable because the way that we get to the boss, to the mind, is by making the employee comfortable. There's no way you can get to the boss if the employee is uncomfortable. So we've got to make this employee, the body, we've got to make it comfortable so we can get to the boss. So by making the lower body comfortable, now we can get to the boss, which is the mind. Because meditation is an active, independent, dedicated training session of the mind where we're either eliminating certain qualities from the mind or we're cultivating certain qualities in the mind. So we need to get to the boss. So we got to make the employee comfortable. So the lower body, if you're in a chair, just put your feet cross leg or flat, whatever is comfortable for you. If you're on the floor, maybe put a cushion under your butt so that you can take some pressure off of your hips and your knees. Your upper body, the spine should be erect. You should be using the muscles in your body because this is going to keep the mind active and attentive. If you lean back up against a wall or on the back of a chair, the mind's going to have a tendency to become lethargic because it's too relaxed. We don't want the employee to be too relaxed. If the employees are too relaxed, you're not going to get to the boss. But also, if the employees are too uptight, then we're not going to get to the boss. We need to be in the middle, which is an erect spine using the muscles of the body to keep the mind attentive and alert. Okay? The hands and the arms. There's lots of different options here. The Buddha, he took his right hand and he put the back of that hand on top of his left palm. And then he put his thumbs together and he put that in his lap. If that works for you, use it. That's the way I do meditation. But if it wasn't comfortable, I wouldn't do it that way. Even though the Buddha did it, if that's not comfortable for you, then don't do it. There's other options. You can put your palms on your lap, on your knees. If you're in a chair, you can put your arms and hands on the chair. The idea is, is that your hands and arms should be comfortable. They shouldn't be engaged. All the muscles should be relaxed. So the lower body and the hands and arms should be relaxed. The upper body is erect. Now, once you're in meditation position, just close your eyes and breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. A nice, steady, consistent, natural breath. Don't try to force it. Don't try to control it. Just relax the mind, breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, steady breath. If you're breathing in short or you're breathing in long, just observe the breath. A nice, natural, steady, consistent breath. Bring the mind to the breath. The sound of the breath or the sensation of air coming over the skin into the nose. So either that sensation of the air flowing into the nose or the sound itself. 
focus the mind on the breath. Whenever the mind goes somewhere else, you're going to cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. So you sit here with the breath, focusing on the breath. I'm going to do some chanting just to kind of ease us into meditation a little bit. And then when we're done, I'll come back and give you some guidance to deepen your meditation. Then I'm going to leave you on your own and then finish up at the very end with some more chanting. So continue to focus on the breath. Arahang Samma Sam Hoto Mahakawa Hotang Mahakawanang Apiwate Ami Sawakato Mahakawata Tammo Damang Namasami Supatipano Mahakawato Savaka Sankho Sankhang Namami Napmodhasapakavato Arahato Samasamputasa Napmodhasapakavato Arahato Samasamputasa Napmodhasapakavato Arahato Samasamputasa Iti piso mahakawa arahang samasamoto vichacharanang samhono sakato rokavitu Anu tero purisa tama sati sata tawa manu sanang puto pakawati Continuing to focus on the breath, breathing in and out through the nose.
Focus on the sound or the sensation of the air coming in and out of the nose. The breath is the present moment. When you fixate the mind on the present moment, on the breath, it can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And through training the mind, this will occur more and more. So if the mind goes to the past, cut that off, let it go. Bring the mind to the breath. If the mind goes into the future, let that go, cut it off. Bring the mind to the present moment, to the breath. As any thoughts or ideas or perceptions enter the mind, let that go, cut it off. Bring the mind to the breath, to the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath. I'm not even interested in you fixating your mind on me talking. Don't have a longing or a strong eagerness for my voice. Just focus on the breath. So I'm going to let you go. Just focus on the breath going to sit right here and meditate with you and then when we're done I'll do some chanting and take any questions just keep focusing on the breath the present moment you have nowhere to go you have nothing to do no one needs you right now just focus on the breath.
start coming out of meditation just kind of bring your mind back to right here right now So let's talk about how this went for you guys. Any questions about what you experienced, what the meditation was like, anything about the three universal truths, the four noble truths, or any of the breathing mindfulness meditation? We have a question from Amina. Often during morning meditation, the mind becomes distracted about my to-do list for the day ahead. Then after becoming mindful, I return to focusing on the breath. 
curious if there are any guidance for avoiding thinking about what I have to do for the day during meditation. Keep cutting those thoughts. Keep letting them go. Bring the mind back to the breath. Just need to do more and more and more meditation, Amina. The um, training of the mind, it, it takes quite a while. Gautama Buddha himself took six years, but really kind of four years by himself. So you've been at this for a little bit over a year now, and it's going to take some time. So just keep working at it. Keep training. You should notice that the mind becomes better and better. It's staying in the present moment. And if your mind wanders for three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, you should notice this time getting shorter and shorter and the amount of time that your mind can focus on the breath getting longer and longer. And that's going to happen gradually over time. And then, of course, in daily life, be sure that you're always working with singleness of mind, trying to keep the mind focused in the present moment. Because you got to take those benefits from the meditation and move it into daily life. So don't try to do multitasking or in a certain conversation or a certain situation. Don't be thinking three, four, five, ten steps ahead about what you need to be doing. Just keep the mind focused on the present moment. And it's going to probably feel odd at first because the unenlightened mind is kind of used to planning out its day, planning out the week, planning out the month. And this is where the mind tries to hold on and it tries to latch on, thinking that if it just plans out the day or plans out the week or the month, it will be peaceful. But what happens is the unenlightened mind makes all these plans and it thinks like, all right, this is wonderful. This is great. I've got my plans. But then impermanence happens. And now the mind's frustrated and angry because the plans changed, because the mind doesn't like that impermanence. It doesn't like that change. So if you can have goals, objectives, kind of things that you're planning to do for the day, that's fine. But then just do it one by one by one so that not only in meditation is your mind rooted in the present moment, but in daily life too, because that'll make your meditation better. It'll, they actually kind of feed off of each other. By you meditating and training the mind to be in the present moment, your mind will be able to do that more readily in daily life. But by you practicing keeping the mind in the present moment and having singleness of mind with focus and concentration and clarity, that will actually help make your meditation sessions more beneficial as well. And you just need more time for the mind to move in this direction. You know, I, I know your age and you know your mind has been the way it has been, like many people. It's been unenlightened for quite a while, so it needs this time to gradually move in the direction of all of these teachings. But surely residing in the present moment feels very uncomfortable for a lot of people in the West because we're not used to that. In the West, we're kind of used to having these plans and we're kind of told that we're supposed to have a one-year plan, a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. You know, people are asking us at six years old, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, eight years old, what do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, whatever you said at eight years old, I'm sure is probably not what you're doing right now because of impermanence. So we've been trained and our mind has been conditioned in our culture to think so far ahead. But now you're kind of unconditioning the mind and training it to be in this present moment, this enlightened mind where it just resides in the present moment, where it can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, with this focus, concentration, deep memory, and clarity of thought. But it just takes time to get it there. 
just a gradual progression. We have a question from Manal. Teacher David, how should I go about lengthening my meditation sits without conditioning my mind to believe longer sits are necessary? I'd like to cultivate a comfort to actually be able to sit longer for deeper meditation. I would say don't have an expectation like you're saying. You're saying you know not to have an expectation of how long you should meditate, but yet you do because you're wanting to make it longer, right? That want, that craving to make it longer. Just sit, do your meditation, or if you end up doing the other positions that I teach in four weeks, just do your meditation, and when it's done, it's done. If you have an expectation of how long your meditation should be, and you don't meet that, then you're going to be sad, you're gonna feel guilty, you're gonna feel shameful when you're done because you plan for it to be this long and it's shorter than that. So it's these expectations, it's this mental longing with a strong eagerness, the mind longing for something that is causing it to be sad, angry, frustrated, feel guilt, shame, lonely, bored, all these discontent feelings are coming from that longing with a strong eagerness. And as long as that's there, the mind's going to be discontent. So even with meditation, don't have an expectation of how long it should or shouldn't be. Just start your meditation, and when you feel done, you're done. I'll kind of tell you, people ask me all the time, how long are my meditations? I really don't know. But I'll tell you what I typically do, is I just sit, and whenever my legs or my feet or my knees start feeling too much pain, I just stop. Truthfully, that's that's what I do when it's just like, all right, I, I can't, you know, my body needs to rest. I just stop. So if that's 20 minutes, then it's 20 minutes. But I wouldn't even know that because I don't check the time or if it's 45 minutes or an hour, then I, I wouldn't know it. So just go for whatever feels right. And if the body, you can move it around and get into a more comfortable position to continue your meditation then go with it. But don't have that expectation because that expectation is what's going to cause the mind to be discontent, even about meditation itself. I have a question, David. How much effort is required during meditation? You really do need to apply effort. You really need to actively engage the mind, be attentive, be alert, be aware of the mind. And if you sit down in meditation and it's just bombardment of thoughts and random chatter, don't feel like, oh gosh, I can't meditate because I've got so much chatter in my mind. But that's exactly why you need to be meditating. Sometimes I've seen people give up because they feel like their mind is too busy. My mind's too busy. I can't meditate. Well, that's exactly why they need to be meditating. I would say the first three to five years of me attempting to meditate, I didn't even know what I was doing. It was like hitting a brick wall every time I meditated. And I just stuck with it and just kind of figured that someday it would all work out and it did. So if you're sitting down and you're noticing your mind is really bombarded with thoughts, this is mindfulness. This is awareness of mind. You're alert. You're attentive. You have awareness of mind that your mind is busy. Use that as motivation and an encouragement that you do, in fact, need to continue to meditate, continue to learn and continue to develop this life practice. Don't turn away from it and get discouraged and give up because you can't meditate because you are meditating. If you walk away from a meditation session with, gosh, my mind's just super busy today, you meditated. You're now aware that your mind's busy 
and you need to be more attentive about that and apply more dedication to continue to learn and practice. This transition from the unenlightened mind to enlightened mind, it's going to happen gradually and slowly. But in meditation itself, the mind needs to be attentive and alert and aware. If you're feeling the mind become lethargic or fall asleep or things like this, this is where we can use standing meditation, we can use walking meditation, other things. What I used to do is if I noticed my mind was like too lethargic or I just couldn't hold the breath, and after five, 10 minutes, probably, I'm just guessing, of trying to do that, and it just wasn't working out, I would just stop. So rather than sit there and be frustrated or angry that I couldn't bring the mind back to the breath, if I noticed at any point during my meditation, I kept making these repeated efforts to do it, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes-ish kind of transpired, and I realized that I just couldn't bring my mind back to the breath, then I would just stop and I would try again. Sometimes I would try again in another hour or two. Sometimes it would be five hours. Sometimes it would be the evening or the next day. But I always tried again, and the conditions might be right at that point in time. Now, with that said, you don't want to just go two minutes and then, okay, my mind's too busy. I'm done. I'm out of here. You want to give it a real good effort of bringing that mind to the breath and realize that every meditation session is going to be different. Why? Because of impermanence, right? If you get a really good quality meditation, lots of benefit, and you're like, wow, everything's moving, wonderful, making so much progress. I feel like my mind's really evolving here. If you sit down in your next meditation session and you expect that same result and you're longing for it, you're most likely not going to get it because of impermanence. And now you're going to cause yourself frustration because you want those same results that you had in your last session. So any kind of longing or strong eagerness is going to cause the mind to be discontent. So be aware that some meditation sessions are going to feel like everything's firing on all cylinders and you're getting all kinds of progress. And then you might go for several weeks where you feel like, gosh, the mind's just too busy. I keep hitting up against this wall. And if that's the case, then that's just where you are in the meditation. You haven't done anything wrong. No need to feel guilty or shameful. It's just the condition of the mind at that particular moment. If you give up, you're never going to make progress. So just keep going and keep pursuing. Don't have that longing with a strong eagerness that every single meditation session is going to be so wonderful and so miraculous. Apply attention, apply dedication, alertness, mindfulness, and just keep sticking with it. And gradually over time, as you learn these teachings from the book, from the podcast, from the videos, from these online classes, from asking questions in the Facebook group, more and more, as you learn these teachings, the mind will gradually progress to becoming more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. That's great. Thank you, David. We have a question from Manal. Would you have a deeper and more quality meditation without distractions surrounding you? For example, if I had the choice between sitting in meditation in my backyard where it's just green grass and fresh air and no noise versus inside my home with lots of distraction, should I choose the former? It can be both. When you're first starting out, it usually helps to be in somewhat of a quiet, serene environment. 
I don't recommend any music or any candles or anything that the mind's going to grab onto, right? Any guidance. You know, some people will listen to guided meditation all the way through. That means their mind's just latching on to the voice of the teacher. You need to get to the point where the meditation is just the body, the mind, and the breath because you need to train the mind to let go. So if the mind's having thoughts of the past and the future and you replace that with music or you replace that with a candle or you replace that with somebody's voice just constantly talking to you, your mind's just grabbing onto something else. Rather than this thought over here, it's grabbing onto the music. So you've got to evolve your practice to the point where it's just body, mind, and breath all the time. But it does kind of help when you're first starting out to be in somewhat of a calm, peaceful environment where there's not much noise going on. But as you progress, it's actually helpful to kind of challenge the mind and put it into situations where it's going to be challenged, where there might be some air, where, uh, like a fan or something like that, or there might be some occasional noise, like a bird chirping or something, or there might be some kids in the next room if you have children playing. This can actually challenge the mind to see if it can hold the present moment and hold the breath. Because if you do all this training in perfect conditions, then when the mind is in imperfect conditions, it loses its peacefulness. So it's good to start out training it kind of in somewhat of a petri dish, kind of a a serene environment, but then feel comfortable to move the mind around, go to a park, go to a temple, go to a friend's house, go to a different room in your house. Try different locations. Once you kind of get a really good practice firmly rooted in one particular place, the mind's going to want to grab onto this. If you always meditate in your bedroom or somewhere else, your mind's going to like that. It's going to want that. And if you do that for a month or two, it's okay to get your practice established. But then move to other location. And the first couple of times, your mind's not going to like it. You're not going to get as good of quality meditation as you did where you were before because your mind's now rooted in that old location. So your mind's going to want to retreat and go back to that old location because it craves permanence. But you've got to push the mind forward and put it into new environments and new situations. And this is how you challenge the mind. There's no sense in training it all the time and just stay in a training environment all the time by moving it into real life scenario where you're in a park or you're in a place where there is activity that's going to challenge the mind more and put this training to the test a little bit. And that's where your mind's going to be tested in daily life when you're out and about at work or you're walking down the street or you're in conversations with friends and family. Your mind's going to be challenged and tested. So you might as well challenge it and test it on your own in meditation and in other environments rather than waiting for it to wind up in these situations where you have less ability to kind of control the variables. So I say meditate in all these different places. First, get your practice really well established, either in one room or one location. And then as you're feeling stable and you're feeling the mind becoming more and more peaceful, move it out into other environments. Sure, you're going to have maybe 80% of your practice maybe is always in your room or wherever you've chosen to do your meditation, but you should still step out and challenge the mind to meditate in different places. Even like here, meditating with all of us in a group setting can be a bit of a challenge for some people. Or this can become comfortable 
and people want to do this all the time and you don't want to meditate by yourself. So you've got to move the mind into different locations, never letting it to really fully grasp and hold on to any one particular thing because that's what causes the discontentedness. What are some ways we know that we might be making progress with our meditation? If you're noticing that the mind is becoming more still, more quiet, and it's being able to focus on this breath for longer and longer periods of time, that's how you know the mind's making progress. But when you see that, you don't want to feel prideful. You don't want to feel arrogant, right? You don't want the ego to kick in because you haven't probably started working on extinguishing those things. But where you feel any pride or arrogance or ego or boastfulness, just cut that off. There's no reason to go out and tell everybody, oh, I'm meditating now, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, right? Being very prideful, arrogant, or egotistical. This is an independent practice, an independent journey where you are pursuing this for your own benefits. And of course, it's going to benefit other people. But you should notice that the mind has these longer and longer periods of time. And when it does, that's good. But once again, you're not always going to have this straight line trajectory to enlightenment. You're going to take, you know, 10 steps forward, two or three back, 10 steps forward, two or three back, 10 steps forward, two or three back. The ego is going to always want to convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are. It's always going to tell you you're more enlightened than you already are because the ego wants to hold on. The ego doesn't want to let go. It's going to try to convince you you're closer to enlightenment than you really are because the ego doesn't want to move out. You're kind of evicting it. You're like, okay, you've got your eviction notice. You got to get out of here. The ego's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. Who are you to kick me out? Right? So as you meditate and you feel this progress happening, the ego is going to want to convince you that, oh, look at you. You're so wonderful. You're so great. And you want to do just the opposite and recognize that's the ego and say, you're out of here, buddy. I'm done with you. You're just getting me into trouble. <laughs> Thanks, David. That's extremely helpful. And we have a question from Jabra. He says, at times, breathing causes uncomfortable feelings in my stomach. What should I do? I would suggest breathing into your lungs rather than down into your stomach. You don't need to have a lot of movement in your abdomen. Some people meditate that way, but if that's causing you pain, you can breathe into your lungs and that will be a nice, more consistent breath rather than down into your abdomen. And be sure that you're setting up really nicely. Put some cushions under your rear and get your rear up and kind of elongate your spine because if you kind of collapse all of this, it can kind of put pressure on the internal organs. So you want to get the spine nice and erect, get some cushions under your rear and really prop yourself up. Okay. It appears we have no more questions at this time. Okay. So what I'll say then is just continue with this practice. The breathing mindfulness meditation is the foundation of your meditation practice. This is going to address the primary problem in the mind. There's other problems that Gautama Buddha discovered about the mind. And in fact, we're going to be talking about those on Sunday. Just four days from now at nine o'clock Thai time, we're going to be talking about the bigger picture of what are the true problems that Gautama Buddha discovered in the mind. But this problem of craving, desire, attachment, how the mind has this longing with a strong eagerness. This is the primary problem. So 
That's what's causing discontentedness in the mind. So it's this breathing mindfulness meditation, which is the primary training to eradicate the discontentedness of the mind. But as you heard in that fourth noble truth, there's an entire path. It's not just breathing mindfulness meditation. It's an entire path of learning and applying the teachings to bring the mind to this enlightened mental state. But the breathing mindfulness meditation is one of the foundational practices that you need in order to move the mind closer and closer to enlightenment because you need to knock down that mental longing with a strong eagerness so the mind doesn't hold on. So you should be doing this daily, either morning, midday, or evening, maybe all three or just two. Whatever it is, you need to build up your practice to be doing this more and more often during your day. And what you'll notice is rather than believe me that this works, is you'll see the truth for yourself. Even today, if all you noticed was that your mind was really busy, what you noticed is that you're now developing mindfulness, awareness of mind. And that's good because that's part of the path. In order to purify the mind and train the mind, you need to have awareness of mind. So today when you meditated, if all you experienced was a lot of chatter, then at least you're building awareness of mind. But if at any point in your meditation today, whether you experienced 10 seconds or five seconds or even one second of complete and other peacefulness, where the mind was just peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, even if it was just for one second, let that be the truth to show you that you can train the mind to get to that mental state. And now, even if you just got one second, the goal is to expand that for wider and wider periods of time during your meditation and then also outside of meditation. So if you just got even one second of peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy today, then that's the truth to show you that you can actually move the mind in this direction. And it's possible. That's almost like temporary enlightenment, right? But what we're doing is we're training the mind to move to this permanent mental state where it always resides, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And it's only going to do that with your dedicated learning to learn all the teachings, apply those in your daily life to include meditation. So keep learning, keep practicing, and make this part of your daily life where you're practicing breathing mindfulness meditation. On Sunday, we're going to be discussing transforming the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. This is chapter eight in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. So if you haven't read that chapter yet, you can either read before or after class or before and after class. There's also an audio book that's free that you can use that as well. On Sunday, I'm going to be discussing that in the same location on Zoom, and live streaming to all the various places that we live stream to. Once we talk on Sunday, again, you'll have lots of chances to ask questions. So anything that you've been reading or thinking about, reflecting on, you can ask those during class. Or if anything comes up during the week, you can post that into Facebook or reach out to me personally. Next Wednesday, we're going to be learning loving kindness meditation because loving kindness meditation actually solves one of the other major problems in the mind, which we'll be discussing on Sunday. So enjoy your meditation practice. 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to make Gautama Buddha's teachings an important part of your life. Through learning and practicing these teachings, you're going to improve the condition of your mind and the condition of your life. You're going to be making better and better decisions to improve all areas of your life. And by doing that, not only will you benefit, but all the people around you will benefit and all of humanity. So by you doing this, you're actually helping everyone else. But you can't help everyone else if you haven't addressed your own mind. So in order to help others, you have to start with yourself first. This isn't selfish. This is you addressing the real problem, which is your mind. You can't go around and change everyone else, but you can change your mind. And that's what you're doing through learning and practicing this path to enlightenment. So until next time, have a wonderful day, and we'll see you on Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time. Thank you very much. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.